Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Today, we're discussing second wave feminism and its impact on major American sports, specifically the story of tennis legend Billie Jean King and her battle of the sexes against aging men's tennis star Bobby Riggs. Here's Matt with the whole story. I want to return to our discussion of the 20th century women's athletic revolution. And so both this time and next time, we will be exploring the women's sports revolution that was part of the modern feminist movement of the 1960s and 1970s. And so specifically, we will be looking at a sports revolution that occurred within the context of what is known as second wave feminism. First wave feminism was the activism among women at the turn of the 20th century. You know, a while back, we talked about how American women latched onto the bicycle, the freedom machine in that era. And we can think of this phenomenon as part of first wave feminism. This was a wave of new modern behavior and activism that culminated when American women gained the right to vote with the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920. Second wave feminism refers to all the different types of women's activism in the 60s and 70s. Now, this was an era when American women were attacking the system of gender discrimination in the United States. They were attacking the long history of unequal opportunity and unequal pay in this nation. They were demanding more control over their bodies. And the world of sports was one of the battlegrounds of the second wave feminist movement as well. And in fact, what I want to argue right now is that the world of sports was maybe the most symbolic of all the battlegrounds. And here's why. As you know, sports were historically seen in this nation as all male domains, you know, kind of like the halls of Congress and and corporate boardrooms. Sporting arenas were male dominated spaces. But sporting arenas are different than the halls of Congress and corporate boardrooms. They are unique. Yes, these are all traditionally male spaces. 
But sporting arenas were places where male physical power was put on display. You know, it was in the sporting arena that men exhibited their physical toughness, their their prowess, their ferocity, their martial spirit, and their muscular bodies. You know, these were spaces where men demonstrated that they were men. So I argue that sporting arenas were the most masculine of the all-male domains. And this is why there was so much resistance to women entering and participating in these places. And to illuminate this resistance, I want to begin with a story from the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon was first run in 1897, and it is the oldest annually run marathon in the world. And from the beginning, the Boston Marathon had been a male-only event. No women ran in it. And in fact, so commonplace was the assumption that a woman would not run in the Boston Marathon, there wasn't even a rule against it. You don't need a rule preventing something that is out of the question. And there were a bunch of ideas out there as to why women would not and and should not and could not run this grueling 26-mile road race. You know, first of all, there was the belief that a woman just could not accomplish such a feat, a belief that the female body was incapable. There were anxieties that if a woman did try to run a marathon, her body would be hideously transformed. You know, she would develop massive manly thighs. I once read an article suggesting that if a woman tried to run a marathon, she would grow a mustache. There was the fear that if a woman attempted to run a marathon, her uterus would slip out of her body. And I'm not kidding. These were actual theories offered by the experts. And I tell you them to give you a sense of the the weird science that was used to justify the exclusion of women in sports. Well, these theories and beliefs, they received a, oh, let's call it a swift kick to the groin in 1967 when Catherine Switzer entered the race. Catherine Switzer was a 20-year-old undergraduate at Syracuse University, and she wanted to run the Boston Marathon. So she mailed in an application But on her application, she did not identify herself as Catherine Switzer, but as K.V. Switzer, initials only, a gender-neutral name. And her application was accepted, and a number was mailed to her. The, The race organizers assumed that she was a he. Catherine Switzer shows up on the day of the race, a a cold April day, and she's wearing baggy gray sweats, like the kind you might wear in a high school gym class. And she was running with her boyfriend, a burly Syracuse football player. And I mention him because he comes into play in just a moment. The race begins. And a couple miles into the marathon, the director of the race, a 63-year-old man named Jock Semple, he saw Catherine Switzer and he burst onto the course to stop her. Jock Semple loved the Boston Marathon, his Boston Marathon, as he saw it. And he had no patience for tomfoolery. And he was known for snatching cigars from the runners who tried to light them at the starting line. He went after the jokers and the frat boys who showed up dressed as clowns or wearing gorilla costumes. And now he was about to go after Catherine Switzer because of her tomfoolery. That tomfoolery being she was a woman running the Boston Marathon. As Catherine Switzer tells the story, she was running the race 
when all of a sudden a man with his face contorted in rage came charging at her screaming, get the hell out of my race and give me my numbers. It was Jock Semple. Semple grabbed onto the back of Switzer and tried to pull her off the course. And this is when Switzer's burly boyfriend, he charged into the side of Jock Semple with the force of a middle linebacker. He gave Semple a shoulder bump, and it was Jock Semple who went flying off the course and into the grass. Switzer was shaken, but she continued to run. She finished the race in four hours and 20 minutes. The first woman to officially run and finish the race. And for the record, it would not be until five years later, in 1972, that the Boston Marathon was officially open to female entrants. I start with this story from the Boston Marathon because I think it illuminates three important things about what I'm calling the women's sports revolution. First, this story tells us that women wanted to run in this race. So it informs us of the desires that were out there among women for participation in sports, you know, in events like the Boston Marathon. Second, it tells us that women could run and complete this race. You know, so this story symbolizes the athletic capabilities of women from this era. They demonstrate just how wrongheaded the assumptions about female frailty were from this era. Catherine Switzer's uterus did not slip out of her body. Third, and very importantly, the Catherine Switzer story demonstrates that there were men who would literally try to hold women back. They would do everything in their power to keep women from participating in sports. And this last point is really my overarching point today. When women made gains in the world of sport, men often saw it as a challenge. They saw it as a threat. And not just in sports. The story of the feminist movement is not just the story of women knocking down doors and demanding opportunity. It's also the story of men seeing this as something that was a problem, as an intrusion in spaces that they believe belonged to men. And so men fought back. So to highlight this lecture's title, you know, rather than call this lecture Sports and the Feminist Movement, I'm calling it The Battle of the Sexes. Because that's the story of the women's athletic revolution in this era. It's the story of women battling and making gains in the world of sport. But it's also the story of men battling back. After the break, do you support Billie Jean King? There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Terms and conditions apply. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I did not come up with this phrase, the battle of the sexes on my own, clever as I may be. This was, as you may know, the name given to the most highly anticipated tennis match in American history. A tennis match that was also one of the strangest sporting events in American history. So let me turn to that story, to the story of the 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs a tennis match that was billed as the battle of the sexes. Billie Jean King was the top women's tennis player of the era, the the late 60s and the early 1970s. And let me start right off by making a case for the tremendous significance of Billie Jean King. When gauging the women's athletic revolution of the 1970s, I think you need to point to three things, three catalysts or sources of the women's athletic revolution. You need to understand that it occurred within the larger context of second wave feminism. And I I have told you this, and I'm talking about this right now. You need to point to the massive changes brought by Title IX, a piece of federal legislation enacted in 1972. And we will discuss Title IX next time, what it says, what it does not say, and so on. But the third catalyst of this women's athletic revolution is Billie Jean King herself. Like Jackie Robinson was for racial integration, and like Muhammad Ali was for black power, Billie Jean King was the face or the body of the women's athletic revolution. And really more than that, in some ways, Billie Jean King is the face of second wave feminism. To a large degree, Billie Jean King was the individual around Americans debated feminism. Your answer to the question, do you support Billie Jean King, was in many ways your answer to the question, are you a feminist? And because of this, I think you can make the argument, uh, I suppose a reasonable person could disagree, but I think you can make the argument that Billie Jean King is the single most influential athlete in American history. And that's because through her tennis career and through this one 1973 match in particular, She influenced the way that a full half of the population felt about themselves and began expressing themselves with regard to athletics. So let's do a deep dive on Billie Jean King. Well, she was born Billie Jean Moffat, um, born in Long Beach, California in 1943. She was a a working class girl, the, the daughter of a fireman. 
And she first started making headlines as a high school tennis star. And when she was 18 years old, she was an amateur tennis player. And she was the third ranked women's tennis player in the world. Now, today, an outstanding female high school tennis player, she might consider accepting a college scholarship to play tennis. But colleges did not give athletic scholarships to women back then. Colleges did not have women's tennis teams back then. Those things come with Title IX. So after high school, she immediately turned professional. Billie Jean Moffat played a power game of tennis, and, and the American press didn't quite know what to make of her, this, this strong female tennis player. But they couldn't resist calling her Little Miss Moffat, thereby infantilizing her and linking her with that children's nursery rhyme. Let me give you a sense of some of the ways that the press described Billie Jean Moffat. Here's Sports Illustrated in 1963. Billie Jean, the daughter of a Long Beach fireman, stands five foot six inches tall, has brown hair, light blue eyes, a small impertinent nose, and a weight problem. Time magazine called her the chunky, bespectacled little Californian. The New York Times described her as the bespectacled tomboy. In 1965, Billie Jean Moffat, she married a man named, named Larry King, hence her name, Billie Jean King. And when she broke through and won her first Wimbledon singles title at age 23, this was in 1966, the sports writers did not ask her how it felt to accomplish this feat. Instead, the first question they asked was, when are you going to have children? Billie Jean King threw the question right back in the reporters' faces, telling them she would answer that question when they asked the same question of the men's champion. Billie Jean King made it very clear that her tennis career was her top priority. And Billie Jean King was controversial for many reasons, but one of them was because she openly admitted to having an abortion so she could continue her tennis career. In 1972, Billie Jean King was one of 53 prominent American women who signed a public manifesto announcing that they had had an abortion. And this manifesto was published in the first edition of a new feminist magazine, Ms. Her declaration was part of a larger movement at this time to destigmatize abortion. It was part of a push to demand that all states repeal their anti-abortion laws. And indeed, it was the next year, 1973, that the Supreme Court ruled that all women possessed a constitutional right to have an abortion. Well, this was a controversial move. You know, feminists applauded Billie Jean King for having the bravery to tell this story. You know, they said this is an important step in destigmatizing this procedure. But for many Americans, this was proof that women and sports were incompatible. Billie Jean King's desire for athletic greatness had caused her to end her pregnancy and her chance to be a mother. And for these Americans, being a mother was supposed to be a woman's number one goal, not winning Wimbledon. And so King was seen as evidence that sports and womanhood were incompatible. It was a problem when women pursued glory in the world of sports. Billie Jean King garnered controversy in another way. She was the player who was most outspoken about the fact that the prize money given at the big Grand Slam tournaments like the U.S. Open, the prize money was unequal. It was very unequal. 
In the early 1970s, men received eight times the amount awarded to women at the major tennis tournaments. And even though almost as many people paid to see the women play as paid to see the men. And so Billie Jean King argued that the payouts should be more equal. This was one of the fundamental arguments of the feminist movement. Women should be paid the same as men for their efforts, for their labors. Well, when the directors of the United States Tennis Association, when they heard her complaint, they refused to listen. And so Billie Jean King led a revolt. We might call it the revolt of the female athlete. She convinced many of the other top female players to form a new women's tennis league, the Virginia Slim Circuit. It was called this because they were sponsored by the Virginia Slim Cigarette, a a slender cigarette marketed toward women and, and a product that advertised itself with the phrase, you've come a long way, baby. The members of the Virginia Slim Circuit, they ran their own tennis tournaments and they threatened to boycott tournaments like the U.S. Open unless the payouts were more equal. And faced with the loss of many of the game's best female players, the major tournaments gave in. They reduced the disparity between male and female prize money because they wanted Billie Jean King and these other players in their tournaments. More equal pay. This was without a doubt a feminist victory. But all of this outspokenness made Billie Jean King the target of a one-time great American men's tennis player, Bobby Riggs. Billie Jean King would end up winning 39 Grand Slam tennis titles, playing singles and doubles and mixed doubles. But the match everyone remembers her for is her 1973 contest against Bobby Riggs. So here is where we get to the battle of the sexes. As I said, one of the most anticipated sporting events in American history, but also one of the weirdest. Bobby Riggs was a one-time tennis great. He had won both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in 1939, but then the best years of his career were interrupted by World War II. And now here in the early 1970s, he's in his 50s, and Riggs is trying to drum up interest for a men's senior tennis tour. And one of the ways he was doing this was by saying that even in his 50s, he could easily beat any of the top-ranked women's players. Let me say something about Bobby Riggs and what, what he does. Bobby Riggs was a lot like Muhammad Ali in that he was a self-promoter. I suspect that he learned that from Ali. I mean, it was the, the same era. I don't know if Riggs truly believed everything that he said, but he said what he said. And like with Ali, I think we need to hold him to it. And so what Bobby Riggs realized was that being a male chauvinist and demeaning the athletic abilities of women, he realized that this could pay. It, it could pay handsomely. And so he broke out all the tired lines. You know, women can't play sports. Women fold under pressure. Women belong in the kitchen, in the bedroom. And he said stuff like that. And Bobby Riggs got attention. He got the attention that he did because of all of the gender conflict in the United States at this time. There were those who were tired of the feminist movement. They they resented the feminist movement. And Bobby Riggs gave expression to their resentment. Bobby Riggs was the anti-feminist hero, their great male chauvinist hope. Riggs challenged Billie Jean King to a tennis match. 
Billie Jean King said, no, thank you. She was not interested. In her mind, she had very little to gain from playing this noisy man in his mid-50s, so she declined. Bobby Riggs looked elsewhere. He got someone to put up $10,000, and he managed to convince Margaret Court, who was from Australia and was one of the best women's tennis players in the world at that time, to, to play him in a match. And $10,000, this was a lot of money. This was about five times what women received for winning a Grand Slam tournament back then. So Margaret Court accepted. The match occurred on Mother's Day, 1973. And just before the match, Riggs handed Margaret Court a dozen roses, you know, the gentleman that he was. And then he thrashed her in 57 minutes. The score was 6-2, 6-1. It has forever been known as the Mother's Day Massacre. And now Billie Jean King knew that she had to play Bobby Riggs. She had to play and beat Riggs as ideas about women's tennis had just been set back years, maybe decades. She also agreed, though, because promoters put up $100,000 for a winner-take-all tennis match. This was serious cash. Plus, there would be hundreds of thousands of dollars in endorsement opportunities. It was billed as the battle of the sexes, the super feminist Billie Jean King against the male chauvinist pig Bobby Riggs. And most sports writers, who were men, they thought Bobby Riggs was going to beat Billie Jean King. Las Vegas oddsmakers, they made Bobby Riggs a two-to-one favorite. Bobby Riggs was 55 years old. Billie Jean King was 29. But attitudes about female athletes were so undeveloped at this time, the sports establishment just could not conceive of a Billie Jean King victory. On September 20th, 1973, 65,000 people jammed into the Houston Astrodome. This was an indoor air-conditioned stadium that had opened in 1965. And this massive futuristic stadium was itself a sign of just how popular sports were getting in the United States. And, and millions of Americans watched on TV. Billie Jean King entered the Astrodome Cleopatra style, carried in a chair held by four muscle men dressed like Egyptian slaves. Bobby Riggs followed in a rickshaw that was pushed and pulled by models in tight t-shirts. He called these women his bosom buddies. Before the match began, Riggs gave Billie Jean King a giant sugar daddy lollipop, right? Endorsement, cha-ching. He told King that she was the biggest sucker in the world. Just like what Ali said to Liston right before the bell of their first fight, right? I got you now, sucker. She was going to lose. Billie Jean King gave Bobby Riggs a baby pig, a pig for a chauvinist pig. So what in the hell is going on here? Is this sport? Is this amusing entertainment? Well, I mean, the point is, it's both. And then the match. Billie Jean King played the power tennis that was associated with the men's game back then. Bobby Riggs played a game of drop shots and lobs, a style back then more associated with women's tennis. And Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs in straight sets. 6-4, 6-3, 6-3. Announcing the contest for ABC Sports was Howard Cosell. And when King won the match, 
Cosell blurted into the microphone, It's over. Billie Jean King defeats Bobby Riggs. Equality for women. Well, it's not quite that easy. It was a tradition in matches like this for the winner to jump over the net and console the loser. Apparently, Bobby Riggs really wanted to jump over the net, so he beat Billie Jean King to it. All right, so what just happened? This was simultaneously one of the most significant and one of the most bizarre athletic competitions in American history. And it prompts a question. What did it really prove? Look, it certainly didn't prove anything about the relative abilities of the top male and female tennis players. Everyone knew that Jimmy Connors, the top male player from this era, everyone knew he could beat Billie Jean King. I mean, Billie Jean King, she wasn't saying that. But the match brought Billie Jean King and women's tennis to national attention. For the first time, many Americans saw on TV a strong, fit, aggressive female athlete. People had to start rethinking their assumptions about the female athlete. And I think the match also showed just how badly many American men wanted Billie Jean King to lose, to be put in her place. Because after she beat Bobby Riggs, a slew of male tennis players started standing up and challenging Billie Jean King. I can beat her. Remember great white hopes? These were great male hopes. Billie Jean King refused all of these challenges. She had proven her point. You know, right after the match, in fact, the very next day, there were accusations that Bobby Riggs had purposefully lost the match in order to win at the betting window. These accusations resurfaced a few years ago on the 40th anniversary of the match. And I don't believe this story. and, And here's why. Bobby Riggs stood to make a ton of money if he beat Billie Jean King. I mean, first of all, he was going to win $100,000. But more than this, had he won, promoters were ready to offer him close to $1 million to play the new darling of women's tennis, Chris Everett. Plus, Bobby Riggs always denied that he threw the match, and he later passed a lie detector test, attesting to the honesty of the contest. So to me, it, it just doesn't add up. In my mind, the persistent claims that the match had to be fixed, I think they are indicative of a culture that to this day wants to diminish the accomplishments of female athletes, especially if those victories come over men. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, the massive effects of Title IX. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. 
Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.